Bring spring color inside this season with Bear Premium Plus paint, starting at just $28.98 a gallon at the Home Depot. Add a pop of blue to your kitchen with the Bear exclusive color Arrowhead Lake or a splash of Amazon jungle to your living room. Bring a cool breeze to your bathroom with sea glass or accent your bedroom with sunrise-inspired colors like coral cloud and dark crimson. Let your creativity bloom this spring with Bare Premium Plus paint starting at just $28.98 a gallon at The Home Depot. How doers get more done. And we're back on Dealing Together, where we help good people who fell for bad deals. First caller? I had to buy three identical sweaters to get the fourth free. Oh, you got fleeced. Next caller, what's your deal? I paid for 20 tanning sessions, but had to use them in a month. Now I'm orange. Ooh. You got burned. Next caller. I traded in my old Samsung at AT AT&T for a new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus. Hmm. How's that bad? I got to choose from their best plans. So what went wrong? Oh, nothing went wrong. And you're calling to... To request a song? You want a song. Of course. The choice is yours. Our best smartphone deals. Your choice of plan. Learn how to get the new Samsung Galaxy S24 Plus with Galaxy AI on us with eligible trade-in. AT&T. Connecting changes everything. Offers vary by device. Subject to change. S24 plus 256 gigabyte offer available for a limited time. Terms and restrictions apply. See att.com slash Samsung for details. Digital trends show up every day in business decisions and actions. West Monroe is the number one strategic partner translating technology into financial value for companies. The This Is Digital podcast applies West Monroe's two decades of secrets and best practices to your business's benefit. Favorite past topics from the last three seasons include how AI and the next generation of employees are shaping the workplace, becoming a product company, Highmark's journey, and what does it mean to put the customer first. Learn more at westmonroe.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. All-inclusive vacations make life easy with endless eats, bottomless drinks, and never-ending fun. So booking an all-inclusive vacation should be easy too, right? That's where Apple Vacations comes in. Book your all-inclusive getaway with Apple Vacations and receive exclusive perks at select resorts. You'll find the best deals at Ryu Hotels and Resorts in Mexico, the Caribbean, and Central America. And enjoy a selection of exclusive nonstop vacation flights. Turn on easy mode at applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Visit applevacations.com or call your local travel advisor to get started. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Welcome to Forward Thinking. Hey there, everyone, and welcome to Forward Thinking, the podcast that looks at the future and says, here is a mind that can see across space. I'm Jonathan Strickland. I'm Lauren Vogelbaum. And I'm Joe McCormick. And today we're going to talk about power and wirelessly transmitting power across vast distances as a means of being able to achieve things that so far seem unachievable. Uh, I don't want to be disrespectful, but I think you misspoke. It sounded like you said wirelessly. Yes. I guess you meant like uh, 
some other word. Uh, you mean like wired power? Yeah, sure. I can see why you would say that, seeing as how our infrastructure is heavily based around wired power, Joe. But nay, say I to you. I am talking wireless, as in get that wire that transmits said power to your house and throw it out the door, for you shall need it no longer. <laughs> so you're talking lightning? I don't know. What does this look yes, like? Yes, I'm talking lightning. <laughs> <laughs> you just We're harnessing the energy of the heavens themselves. So Thor is going to make my cell phone never run out of battery. <laughs> Okay, you know, broadly speaking, yes. Uh, no, no, no. We're gonna we're gonna talk about wireless power because it is for real in fact, wireless a thing. power. Yes. Okay, so not Thor, but Tesla. Okay. All right. Let's let's ease into this first before we before we get into the Tesla discussion. And don't worry, folks. There will be one. Uh, I wanted to. This actually still has to do with Tesla. Tesla was one of the the minds working on uh, making alternating current a workable. Uh, a feasible means of transmitting electricity. As opposed to direct current. Right. So like the, the grid electricity that you get out of your wall socket is going to be alternating current. Yes. But to use it in a lot of things, you need to translate it to direct current. Yeah. So here's the, here's the reason why there's alternating current in the first place. Cause I, I know there are a lot of people who get confused about this. Back in the day, like back when electricity was st- first starting to be understood and uh, and and harnessed in a usable way, uh, there was a lot of discussion about what's the best way to deliver electricity from the place where you generate it to the place where you need it. Direct current is one way. This is the way that batteries work, right? The current flows in one direction. It goes from uh, the negative terminal to the positive terminal. That's how electricity works with direct current. So you're, anything that's running on a fuel cell or a battery, that's, that's how it goes. Alternating current... The, the, um, essentially you get it switching so that the current flows in two different directions. First one direction, then the other. It cycles. Mm-hmm. Okay. It alternates. Uh, now the reason why alternating current is the re, is used in transmission is because if you wanted to transmit direct current across vast distances, you had to use really high voltage, which back in the day was not really easy to do. Okay, it would require a lot of energy. It wasn't very efficient and it wasn't very economical. Uh, it meant that you were limited to uh, about a mile's worth of, of distance across the, the lines at the time. So that meant that you would have had to b- build a whole bunch of generators or power stations to serve even a relatively small city. Now, alternating current, what you can do with that is build something called a transformer. Transformers allow you to change the voltage by stepping it up or stepping it down. And if you are using a really high voltage alternating current, you can then transmit this electricity over long distances, use transformers to step it down to the voltage that you need wherever you're going to use it, because your house does not need to have a 100,000 volts going in through the the outlet. And if it did, it wouldn't last extraordinarily long. I'm going to be honest. I don't know intuitively how much a volt is. Okay, so, you know, you've heard of like 120 volts or 240 volts. Yeah. There you go. So you don't need 100,000 coming through that outlet. That's usually... No, we certainly do not. So the idea here is that you would have these transformers to change the voltage. You can do that with alternating current. You cannot do it with direct current. It all has to do with electromagnetism. So just one last thing that I need to cover for this, because direct current will become important in the rest of this conversation. Uh, When you have a, uh, a coil of wire and you run electricity through it, that generates a magnetic field. 
Okay. If you have an alternating magnetic field and that the magnetic field itself is fluctuating or you move a magnetic field within and away from a conductor, you induce electricity to flow. Mm -hmm. So if you took, take two coils of wire, a primary coil and a secondary coil, and you run an alternating current through the primary coil, meaning that the current flows one direction and then the other, this creates a fluctuating magnetic field. The secondary coil is within that fluctuating magnetic field, so that induces electricity to flow. And the relationship of the number of coils in the primary coil versus the secondary coil determines how much voltage is going to flow through that secondary coil. If it's the same number of coils, it's a one-to-one conversion. If there are more coils in the secondary uh, coil than there is in the primary. Let's say that you've wound the primary 10 times, but you've wound the secondary 20 times. You get twice the voltage. Okay. So that's how you can step up or step down the voltage based upon the number of coils in that secondary coil compared to the first one, the primary coil. An interesting way to tie this into our discussion is that what you've just described is what's called a transformer. Yep. And this actually does transmit current wirelessly, albeit over a very short distance. Right. Through so electromagnetic you, induction. Right. So these, these wires are not actually connected to one another. The magnetism created by one creates the electricity in the other wire coil. Right. Correct. And but we'll talk about that. Yeah, we'll talk about more of that in a little bit. Uh, just know that it works with alternating current, but not with direct current, because direct current only creates a magnetic field that's stable, not fluctuating. Mm-hmm. All right. So now we can have our discussion about the big bad boy of the internet, of technology, the guy who just got ground down by the establishment, the guy who had all the ideas to save the world or destroy it. <laughs> Nikola Tesla. Yeah. So just like all these other great technology stories, Nikola Tesla figures into the history of wireless power transmission. But there's a problem whenever you want to find out something about Nikola Tesla <laughs> I've discovered, yes. which is the, the Internet Tesla fog. Yeah. There is sort of this fog of dubious information about Nikola Tesla and it's really hard to tell what actually happened with this guy. There's just a lot of websites. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, they're just going to say stuff. And all right, so part of the problem here is that a lot of the info about Tesla is from a biography called The Strange Life of Nikola Tesla that was published in 1973 by one Arthur H. Matthews um, that became the first bio of Tesla on the Internet because it was transcribed from a photocopied booklet by one John Rowland Penner in 1994. Um, if this already sounds shady, that's because it absolutely is. Uh, now, now both of these contain uh, certain omissions and weird additions from Tesla's actual autobiography uh, called My Inventions, which was published in six parts in a magazine in 1919. Um, now, <laughs> all of this should be should be understood through the filter of. All right, so Tesla was a crazy showman. I mean, like, this dude was very fond of saying these big, impressive things and making these statements and and being kind of wacky to begin with um, as part of his personal shtick. Yeah. And on top of that, by by 1919, um, he was perhaps not perceiving um, reality the way that I would say that most human people, on average, perceive reality. Sure. Uh, He had some stuff going on. To be fair... Being a showman and being a te- in technology in this era was by no means uh, 
limited to only Tesla. Oh, this was no. a, this was an era where Edison would take the stage to try and wow the newspapers and and other form of uh, audiences into buying into direct current. I mean, Edison of course famously would use alternating current to show how dangerous it was. Yeah, by that, that, zapping animals to death. Yeah, that one time he had one of his assistants kill an elephant Topsy. on stage. Yeah, <laughs> poor that, Topsy. She I, was. She had. She did nothing. Well, okay, no, she actually did kill a couple of trainers. But to be fair, the trainers were probably not so nice either. It's at, a complicated issue. At any rate, um, anything that you read online about Tesla and his inventions should be um, considered critically. Yeah. Yeah, because yeah. Uh, some of the things that are famously attributed to him have. No actual documentation apart from people relating a story. So you might get something second or third hand or worse and not actual documented evidence. So the reason why we're even laying all this out in the first place is because a large uh, part of Tesla's mythos centers around this idea of broadcasting power wirelessly uh, of more than one method i believe right yeah, yeah. The, there's one that sort of used the earth so how, how did well, that's that the, one work? that's that's really the big one there's the other one which is just zapping the hell out of anything that happens to be nearby <laughs> also known as the tesla coil um but no if you're talking about like wardencliffe wardencliffe tower which was meant for a couple things primarily it was meant to find a way to transmit mm-hmm. specifically well, not really radio waves but transmit waves transit Atlantically, uh, uh, there were a lot of financial backers, including J.P. Morgan, who were interested in this possibility. This mm-hmm. is the earliest days of radio. Uh, yeah, yeah. This was mostly being thought of as a method of communication, but a- yeah. as of course it would turn out to be. But the kind of secondary proof of concept sort of thing surrounding it was like, and maybe energy. Right, yeah. right. Tesla was saying that you know he had this kind of. Interesting World view. electricity. Yeah, he was thinking of the the Earth as having its own electric charge. All right, he essentially thought of the Earth in a way that future scientists would kind of prove he was on the right track. He didn't have a he didn't really have the right view of it, the accurate view, but he was on a track to he essentially was right things about like enough things that it gives enough credibility to yeah, this concept that makes that, people question whether right. or not it's real. So the, his idea was that using the earth essentially as the means of transmitting electricity. And to, before we get too technical, essentially just imagine that you have a transmitter and a receiver that are precisely tuned to one another so that you, you can't be even a smidge off or else nothing works. And you transmit this using the transmitter, you send electricity through the earth and then really no matter where the receiver is, as long as it's tuned into the right frequency, it would pick up that transmission and you would get power transmitted from one point to the other. This is not the same as free energy, which is what some people say. Uh, you would, in fact, have to generate the electricity on the transmitting end and then transmit it through and you would lose power this way, too, just as you would through any other transmission means, where converting uh, energy from one form to another, you tend to lose some, usually in the form of heat. Yeah, some kind of resistance. Yeah, there's usually some sort of resistance there. There would have to be if you were generating electricity and then putting it through a transmitter, and then you probably lose more on the receiver end as well. So it's not 100% efficient. It's not free energy, but it would be a wireless means of transmitting power. All that being said, I know of no one who has ever been able to make it work the way Tesla was saying. 
I know there are a lot of people who are looking at similar approaches, but nothing for one thing, Tesla, Tesla did put out a patent on this. But, you know, patents describe a general way of achieving something. Oh, right. They don't necessarily outline the entire process. Yeah. And so especially back in that those days, Tesla's patent is refreshingly very short <laughs> compared to today's patents. You might see a patent today on something as simple as uh, an electric toothbrush that doesn't even have, you know, a, a, a wireless charging. And it could be, you know, 30 pages long. Tesla's is relatively tiny. But anyway, uh, yeah, as far as I know, no one has replicated anything that Tesla was playing. And you know, there, there were stories that Tesla was able to use an enormous Tesla coil in Colorado that uh, lit something like um, light bulbs that were 26 miles away or something, 200 light bulbs. But again, that's second, third hand information. There was no actual documentation of it. Um, also, uh, I mean, there are stories that Tesla like created a winged horse and <laughs> just I love the story about how Tesla went on this long journey trying to get home and was uh distracted several times throughout that journey by a cyclops and there were some sirens <laughs> and uh there was like a big uh whirlpool thing uh, okay, okay, okay 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 but but for, first an actual quote from Tesla about this Wardenclyffe tower um <laughs> uh, th- this is according to PBS who I trust to have done their fact checking in this system that I've invented, it is necessary for the machine to get a grip of the earth. Otherwise, it cannot shake the earth. It has to have a grip so that the whole of this globe can quiver. Yeah, that's uh, not dramatic at all. And also... Uh, I'm not know, sure why he was kind of British there, but that, but I think... <laughs> yeah, I don't know. His Russian, British, whatever. <laughs> uh, actually, <laughs> what I was going to say was that uh, the fueling the the mythology around Tesla is the fact that uh, his financial backers pulled out. So yeah. Wardenclyffe was being constructed. It was taking longer than anticipated. It was costing more money than anticipated. And meanwhile, a little fellow named Marconi had figured out how to transmit a single letter tra- uh, tr- transatlantically. It was just like some dudes holding a pole, right? Well, essentially, yeah. <laughs> they, he found it using a system that was that worked and was cheap, comparatively speaking. So if you are a financial backer and you're looking at this unproven technology that is taking huge amounts of your money and still you haven't seen any progress. And mostly or, just talking about the earth quivering. Right. Um, and then you look at this other dude with, with this stick and you're that like, works. oh, I get a stick. Yeah. I understand that right, stick. Right, right, right. Exactly. Why do I waste all this money on this thing that may or may not work when I can get this thing that totally works? Yeah. So that was, you know, it, it wasn't it wasn't like it was a malicious attempt. There are some people who frame this as the uh, like like Edison and his cronies were able to infiltrate all of this and, and pull strings. And that's why uh, Tesla was abandoned. But here's the deal, I guys. I think there were certainly many times during which kind of underhanded business stuff like sure. that went down in Tesla's life. But but, you know, here's the thing is that that's not why people remove their money. That's not why people remove their financial backing, because. I don't care if you're Edison or not. If you're JP Morgan and Edison comes up to you and says, Hey, I want you to pull your support out of, uh, from Tesla, but you're JP Morgan and you think, no, Tesla is going to make me 10 times more money than I'm putting in. <laughs> you tell Edison, like, go pound sand, buddy. So, so I'm pretty sure there wasn't a conspiracy. It was more of a business decision. Right. Okay. So I want to climb our way out of the Tesla fog, if that's all yes, right. that's fair. Because Absolutely. a minute ago, you mentioned electric toothbrushes. Yes, I did. 
And that brings me to the complete opposite end of the spectrum. Coming away from the winged horse Tesla mythology, I want to come right down to the most mundane wireless power transmission we've got. The same junk that charges your electric toothbrush and really is wireless electricity. How does it work? Okay, so this is essentially what I was talking about before. Inductive coupling. You have, imagine that you have a, a, uh, a, a device that is able to put an alternating current through a coil of, of wire. Mm-hmm. You've got a secondary device that has a coil of wire in it that's connected to some sort of energy storage device like a battery. Uh, actually, really, we should just say a rechargeable battery. And then you run that, that alternating current through the first coil. As long as the second coil is close enough to be within that magnetic field, then it will induce electricity to th- flow through the coil and thus charge the battery. So with your electric toothbrush, the actual, the primary coil would be the one that's in the base that you set the toothbrush down upon once you're finished brushing your teeth. And then as long as it's plugged in, it's going to be drawing current and then running this little alternating current through the primary coil. Secondary coil picks up that it induces electricity to flow, charges the battery. Okay, but so this is actually charging the toothbrush without making conductive contact. Yes. It's uh, it's just using that magnetic... Uh, you could you could do this with anything. You could have a light bulb plug uh, screwed into a base that has a coil in it. You could have a secondary coil where there is no physical contact between the two coils. And you could run electricity through that primary coil and that light bulb will light up. Just the magnetic energy from the first creates electricity in the second. Just that... that basic uh that basic relationship between electricity and magnetism yeah okay so that's really cool but it seems like that only works at short distances right well you yeah you in general if you're using basic this basic approach yes because the secondary coil has to be within the magnetic field generated by the first coil is there a way we could make it work at longer distances ooh okay well i guess um I don't know. What you're saying resonates with me, but, uh. <laughs> oh no. Oh dear. All right. So, so resonance actually adds potential to this entire in, inductive coupling concept. Yeah. Um, and, and resonance is just, um, a, an object's size and shape will determine the frequency at which it naturally vibrates, right? Right. So this is the same concept behind if you, if you ring a glass and you hear the tone it makes, if you're able to generate that same tone at a good, at a strong enough amplitude, you can make the glass deflect form and break. Uh, yeah. Or, for example, if you have a second glass that has the exact same resonance, then uh, pinging the first glass should make the second one also begin to vibrate. Yes, mm. exactly. OK. And now for power, uh, the idea here is to get yourself some uh, two curved coils of wire. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, except you put a capacitance plate at the end of each one mm-hmm. um, and and place the coils within an appropriate range of each other. Once you're working with resonance, this can be up to a couple meters or about seven feet. Which is – that's huge because, again, you are you are outside the usual magnetic field. I mean, unless you're putting bukus of power through a coil, that magnetic field's not going to normally extend that far. So Certainly that's pretty, not that far. Remarkable. Right, right. This is pretty good. Um, and if these, if these coils resonate at the same frequency and you run electricity through that first one, then it should uh, jump or more precisely transmit or stream to the second one. Mm-hmm. Um, MIT has been working on prototypes of this since um, the early 2000s. Mm-hmm. But um, even with this method, the distance at which you can transfer power is dependent on the, on the diameter of that coil. So, so that's not going to like electrocute you if you walk in front of it. 
No, because it's not electric fields. It's a magnetic field. Mm-hmm. Nice. And yeah. you're not resonating, hopefully, at the same, uh, same frequency. frequency yeah, that, that would be, wire. that would be odd. If you had something on you or in you that resonated at that frequency, uh, that would not be good. But I can't imagine you having anything that would make you, you I can resonate. See it. that being the setup for a really interesting techno murder mystery. <laughs> <laughs> I think I think right. there should be an episode of Sherlock Here. about this. Absolutely, yeah. Wear this necklace. <laughs> Let's not get off uh, on the subject of Sherlock because I just watched the first episode of season three, and I'm, I could talk about that. We're for hours. raring to go. Yeah. Okay, but so so it's a it's a pretty much one to one ratio of the diameter of the coil that you're using and the distance at which you can make a second coil resonate. Gotcha. So in other words, you that that is a limitation, obviously, because if you're talking about larger distances, you would need larger coils, which means a larger form factor for whatever it is you're using. It gets pretty ridiculous and expensive pretty fast. Yeah. But there might be ways around that even. Just this month, uh, January 2014, researchers at Duke published a paper, which is a tongue twister that I'm just going to try to say anyway because it entertains me so much. Magnetic metamaterial super lens for increased range wireless power transfer. Woo! Yes. Not bad. First take, y'all! Yay! Um, and, and this described the design of a sort of focusing lens for electromagnetic fields. It's it's sort of like a cubic honeycomb and, and each cell of this of this sort of weird, giant, flat Rubik's cube um, is etched with spiraling copper wire. Um, this 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 is called a metamaterial, and, and it kind of funnels the field into this narrow cone that can transmit power a distance of some 12 times the diameter of the coils. All right, that's kind of cool. So we're talking like coils in what, like the 8 or 10-inch range, something like that? Oh, they're about 2 centimeters in diameter right now, which is oh. about 0.8 inches. Okay, um, it's a little smaller than I was thinking, but all right, okay, but, still, you know. but that's a total transfer distance of of twenty four centimeters or about a foot, which is still really impressive considering that they're only two centimeters to begin with. Sure, okay, so so we're still pretty much limited. It's not like we're, you're going to be able to have a power station that's on one side of your house and be able to use that to transmit power to a light bulb on the other side of your house right now. Not this year, but. This is a step in that sort of direction. Okay. Yeah, that's really cool, but we're still basically on the, uh, uh, near let's field. Say not outside my yard. Certainly not. Right, yeah. right. Well, why, why don't we think about maybe going a little further? Like, I don't know, from outer space to the earth. What? Yeah. I have thought about this before. Okay. Because if you'll re- recall our, um, our podcast about the Kardashev scale. Yes. We talked about what it takes to advance a civilization to sort of the next stage of energy production and use. Yep. Um, so what happens when we need to power all kinds of, of vehicles and colonies all over the solar system? Well, clearly we would have to be able to tap into power beyond just what's available here on Earth. Yeah. And we're already, even though, even though you, you can easily argue that we're not nearly tapping all of Earth's resources as far as energy production could theoretically go. We might not even be tapping the best ones. Right. But even even so, even if we were to do that, that would still limit us on how far we could expand outwards if that's all we depended upon. We would need to find other ways of harvesting and transmitting energy. Right. You can't run a cord out from Earth to the 
colony on the moon. Not after that one visit I had from federal authorities who said <laughs> it was a, a, a noble attempt, but I should knock that off. Yeah. Uh, vice versa, you also can't run a cord from the solar harvester on the moon to Earth, if that's what you want to do. Right. So you might even be able to design this amazing device that can float out in space unimpeded by the Earth's atmosphere that has a, a diameter that is so large that it's, it's capturing more solar energy just from this one device than all of the solar farms on Earth. But how do you get that power down to the planet where we could use it? Well, let's talk about some beaming. All right. Beaming. So beaming. We get Scotty. Who, <laughs> he's, he's Or Chief O'Brien. Or Chief O'Brien. Yeah. The, they are very important as far as beaming goes. No. So we're talking about using... Uh, different forms of energy to transmit uh, something that where, where we store we, we gather energy from one source we convert it into another kind of uh, transmission whether it's electromagnetic or something else send that down to a receiver which then can convert it back into electricity that then can be used that's it, the basic idea right is this for real this is for real sweet yeah this is this is something we can do right now in fact uh, one of the one of the methods is through microwave transmissions yeah okay so microwaves are basically their electromagnetic radiation so they're along the electromagnetic spectrum yep. the, the same as light and radio waves right um so y- we know that we can transmit them around i mean that they're how like your cell phone sends a signal based on microwaves. Uh, right? Sure. Uh, lots of uh, other cable signals like television come in, uh, can be beamed by microwave. Yep. Yep. You can do it that way. Uh, and you can actually have a way of generating or well, not generating, but transmitting electricity this way. OK, so how does it work? How does a device receive microwaves and turn that into usable electricity? Right. First, you have, again, a DC generator. All mm-hmm. right, something that's going to create DC electricity that converts that. You then have a converter that converts the electricity into microwaves, sends the microwaves toward wherever it is that you're you want it to go. All right, on the other end, you have a, a rectifying antenna or a rectenna, rectenna um, that can receive this and then convert those microwaves back into direct current which then can go at, to whatever application you were planning. Uh, granted, if you were planning on transmitting that through, say, like a power grid, let's say that we've got some sort of uh, uh, orbiting space station that's beaming power down to generate electricity specifically for the power grid here on Earth, then you would probably need to, at least the way our infrastructure is based right now, you would need to then put the power through an inverter to make uh, to change it from DC power to AC power so it could be transmitted across the the grid as it stands now. Still pretty cool if you're getting it from space, I'd say. Oh no, it's it's pretty awesome. I mean, you have to keep in mind that any anything that's a multi-stage process like this where you're transmitting power, you're losing energy along the way. So your efficiency is never going to be in 100%. I want to make that clear. Uh, you should think about changing energy between different media, like trying to hand somebody a pile of sugar. Like you can hand it to them, but they're never going to get all of it. Quite right. all of it, right. Right, right. You're going to lose a little bit, usually in the form of heat. That's yeah. the that's the big one, right? But there are other ways you can lose energy as well. Yeah, and microwaves actually do better than a lot of other forms. Sure, yeah. In fact, in, in space, they're great. I mean, because you don't have to worry about like when it moves through the atmosphere, uh, you can actually lose some microwaves in transmission that way. Not enough for it to 
be a huge loss, but it would mean that you would hit, take a hit in efficiency. Uh, each stage, you would lose a little bit of energy and efficiency. But um, I think I've read that the ideal, like it, say that everything's working at the... All the equipment is top notch. Yeah, yeah, it's working as good as it possibly could, which means we'll never get there. But, you know, it's it's the this is the ceiling would be an efficiency of around 76%. Because you're talking about converting electricity to microwaves, the microwaves back into electricity, it means there are a couple of different stages there. And of course, that also will depend upon whether the transmission is through space, where you don't have to worry about the atmosphere getting in the way, or if it's atmosphere to space or space to atmosphere. Because we could use this microwave transmission for a lot of different purposes, not just beaming out to space. Wouldn't have to just be that. No. But, uh, but that's one way. How about unmanned aerial vehicles? How yeah. about them? You can beam microwaves to a UAV and keep it aloft. I can? Surely. I'll be right back. <laughs> surely this is crazy science fiction. No, this idea has been around for a long time, actually. In 1964, the electrical engineer William C. Brown, who was working for the Raytheon Corporation at the time, uh, gave a demonstration showing that he could power a small electric helicopter by beaming microwaves to the vehicle from an antenna. So it had a rectenna, it received the microwaves, converted them to DC current, and powered the rotors of the helicopter, and this uh, was how it stayed aloft. Uh, and so that's not the only one. There's been the uh, the Sharp vehicle. It was the stationary high-altitude relay platform. Uh, that was created by the Canadian Communication Research Center in the 1980s, and it was given a huge boost by new uh, printed circuit technology that allowed um, those those rectennas to become lightweight enough to really benefit the vehicle. Right, because, I mean, obviously if you have a device that adds weight to the vehicle, then you have to take all of that into account. It changes everything, right? Every time you are thinking, oh, well, here's a solution, but it adds weight. Wait, now we need more power than the solution would allow us to have, and then we have to go back to the drawing board. Right. So. This one could circle for, like, months at a time. Uh, yeah, and so I think that's really the bottom line with this is you've got to figure out how to reduce the size and mass mm-hmm. of the rectenna and um, how to increase the efficiency. Yes. Right. And so if you can maximize both of those, these could have some really interesting capabilities, like, say, for micro-aerial vehicles. Sure. So you could have teeny tiny ones because you wouldn't need a battery on board at all. Yeah. I want to give just one example. I was looking at some of what are some of the really cool micro-aerial vehicles out there. One is called the Delphi Explorer, and that's an autonomous flying vehicle. It weighs about 20 grams. So... Uh, your average empty soda can is 14 or 15 grams. Wow. So not okay. much heavier than an empty aluminum can. Right. And this is a uh, an autonomous tiny flying vehicle. It's got stereo vision so it can see obstacles and avoid them. But the main problem is the battery life is only nine minutes at that scale. Oof. Hmm. Yeah. That's but. not very long. But imagine if you could scale down a, an efficient enough rectenna at that size that you could beam microwave power and keep this thing going. I don't know if that's achievable. I, I'm not an engineer. I, I don't know if you can get a rectenna to that size and the right efficiency. Uh, but if you could, it seems like that would be a good alternative to the battery power. And another is, uh, this is true of all of our broadcast abilities, the, the ability to, to transmit power over vast distances. But another potential application is in construction in space. Oh, yeah, yeah actually, because 
a lot of the things you want to have in space, it is not very feasible to build on Earth and send up whole. Right. Yeah. Even even building in part and sending it up and being constructed in parts can be problematic depending on the size of the parts. Because, mm-hmm. you know, you're you're limited by whatever payload capacity your vehicle happens to have. Right. So if we're able to get to a point where we can either ship raw materials up into space or if we get into that asteroid mining world where we're able to even get raw materials out there and process them some way, we need to have energy to fuel those processes. Yeah, and, and not having to send fuel up along with whatever we're sending. Yeah, because would... then again, you need more fuel to send up the fuel. It's, we're <laughs> right back to that energy problem. But uh-huh. if you're if you're able to beam the energy either from Earth or you're able to generate it through some other space orbiting uh, uh, platform, for mm-hmm. example, you know, a space orbiting platform that's collecting solar uh, energy, you could beam it from there to the site, and you would be able to provide energy for everything from, uh, uh, you know, refining the materials that you're mining out of asteroids to actually uh, giving the energy you need to, to for the construction of various stuff out in space. So if we could get to a point where we could actually construct spacecraft in space where you don't have to launch them in the first place, then you you're really on your way toward a viable uh, exploration and even colonization sort of civilization of that, you know, otherwise you have to sit there and figure out how to get the thing off the planet before it can even start on its journey to wherever it's going to go. Yeah. The, the construction thing seems like a big potential application to me, but the other one is the one we touched on earlier, which is energy harvesting. In yeah, space. sure. Um, so we're not getting all of the potential solar energy we could be getting on the surface of the Earth, are we? Not, no. not nearly. Yeah. No. For one thing, uh, obviously, one, we can't coat the entire Earth with solar panels, so we can't get all of the solar energy that's hitting Earth. Plus, there are these things called clouds. The clouds. There's yeah. also, yeah, the atmosphere. There's also the fact that solar panels reflect sunlight, so you're not yeah. going to get you're not getting a hundred percent of the sunlight that's even hitting a panel, much less a hundred percent of the sunlight that's hitting the Earth. There's this other thing called nighttime. Yeah, yeah, yeah. it happens. For... It's when the sun goes down. Uh-huh. Yeah, right. It's not when the Earth turns. Um, <laughs> but yeah, if if we were able to create. Uh, uh, like I said, these these kind of solar harvesting platforms out in space, then that could definitely help. Or if we were able to harness uh, some of the other real estate that's out there, like the moon. Yeah. Uh, the idea of a space-based solar power plant is also – we're not just spitballing. Like this is something yeah, no, that this is an NASA actual... actually talks mm-hmm. about. Right. Uh, I want to give one example of a cool uh, paper I was looking at. It's called the uh, – SPS Alpha. So it, it was in an early evaluation of this thing called the Solar Power Satellite via Arbitrarily Large Phased Array. I don't know why it has to be arbitrarily large. <laughs> I think it should be specifically large. Uh, I think the basic idea about that was that you could keep adding modules to make it larger. Uh, okay, that makes sense. Okay, so uh, it was investigated by NASA's Innovative Advanced Concepts Division in 2011-2012, and so essentially, imagine a flower-shaped array of modular mirrors that direct solar energy inward toward solar cells and then convert that energy into microwaves and then beam it down to Earth. And that would be up in geostationary orbit, um, so it would have direct access to this clean sunlight. Uh, and in the official report, the authors state in their conclusion, quote, if the SPS Alpha can be developed, solar power in the range of hundreds of megawatts to hundreds of gigawatts could be harvested in space and delivered efficiently to markets on Earth 
and to enable energy-rich operations throughout the inner solar system, transforming all aspects of government and commercial space. Wow. All I need is 1.21 gigawatts. That's all you I need. You mean gigawatts? Yeah. Well, <laughs> they'll do in a gigawatt. Yeah, mm-hmm. I need 1.21 of them. But they think that microwaves are the way to do this, huh? Yeah, so they went with microwaves. Now, are there any other ways that you could transmit something that far uh, other than microwaves? Space hamsters. <laughs> I, I think that that's the most accurate and scientific method of energy transfer. I have a ridiculous story to tell you guys, but we'll save that till after the podcast is over. Actually, uh, the other one, another, well, the other one, there are multiple suggestions but there, another there's one, another big one which another is, big one would be lasers yeah right, right because lasers are after after all working on just another range of the electromagnetic spectrum yeah that's right. within the light spectrum yeah uh-huh. um, super focused in this case uh, it would be a directed infrared or near infrared laser beam so it would not be visible to the naked eye uh right but that could activate photovoltaic cells uh, you know basically solar cells yeah. and uh that would convert the light into electricity so in other words we're just uh, kind of uh being able to create fake sunlight <laughs> beam it down to a specific place now i got a question for you guys so it's a laser based system um what am I looking at here? What are my limitations? Well, uh, you know, with with this or actually with microwaves, too, you'd need a direct line of sight between your right. power source and right. your receiver. So anything that's based on light is obviously limited by line of sight. You know, if if uh, if the receiving station is on the side of the earth that's facing away from the transmitting station, you have to wait until the two are in alignment. Now, normally you would get around this by having whatever it is in uh, direct line of sight all the time. Right? Uh, sure. Or if you had some kind of um, uh, array of dishes, you could use those to beam the lasers sure. from one to Yeah, another. if you had an array and you were able to direct the uh, transmitting uh, antenna toward a specific point, then you could do that. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, it, it's certainly one something that you'd have to take that into consideration, obviously. It's an issue. Um, also, efficiency is an issue. Mm-hmm. Um, your photovoltaics optimized for the wavelength of, of an infrared or near-infrared beam can capture about half the power of that so, beam. So, again, we're looking at that, that loss of energy through various stages of transmission. I mean, even converting uh, energy into a laser, you're going to lose some oh, of that sure. energy already, right? Yeah. Depending upon however you're doing it. But you know, some of that electricity that you would go into creating a laser, you lose some of that. And then on the other end, you've got the common problems with photovoltaics um, yeah. being, you know, the, the, the materials that we have right now aren't quite as optimal as they could be. Yeah. And even at, at top level, like even if you were to optimize it to the ideal, again, you're never going to reach 100%. Right. So uh, the question is whether or not the efficiency adds up to it making being a practical solution. Um, and honestly, you know, it's, all of these things are things we're thinking about. We don't have a whole lot of experience actually putting major versions of this into place. I mean, obviously in the lab, we've used quite a bit. Yeah, what's actually been done in terms of uh, laser transfer? Uh, well, for lasers, they did a test run of a tiny little radio-controlled aircraft at NASA's Marshall Space Flight Center in 2003 that, that proved that the concept was solid. Yeah. Um, they, they totally flew that little thing around inside a building for a good while. Right, um, right. And, and and I mean, you know, I'm, I'm talking about it like it was silly and it was a tiny bit silly, but it was really cool. I mean, like that was a laser powered 
airplane. That's uh, awesome. It's a proof of concept, right? Yeah. That's how yeah. these things start. Um, also, also very cool. Um, back in 2009, there was a robot that climbed a 900 meter, that's that's about half a mile or so, um, cable that won some funding from NASA for uh, going towards space elevator sure, research. Because and we that, would need to be able to provide energy to climbers. Uh-huh, and that robot was laser powered. Oh, cool. Yeah. Yeah, see, now that makes a lot of sense, too, because if you have a space elevator and you've got a robotic climber that needs to climb that cable, uh, one way that you can reduce some of the weight is to remove the need for it to carry its own power source. Right, absolutely. If you're able to provide power some other way, then that would uh, lighten the load of the space elevator uh, that needs to climb up this this cable and thus, in the long it'll, run, it'll reduce... only take 64 weeks instead of 65. <laughs> well, <laughs> more importantly, it, it, it means that you are. It won't um, be less. It won't be as much of an energy drain. Right. Yeah. Uh, ultimately, the, the expense will be less. Yes. And yay yes. for that. So. Uh, so, yeah, really cool ideas here. And the, you know, the important thing to remember is that all of this stuff, it's all in the the prototype stage, the experimental stage. I mean, obviously, we've been harnessing solar power for ages now. Uh, so it's not like all of these are untested ideas. The ideas themselves have been tested. It's just being able to implement them on a large scale is still, that's a big deal. I, I think I know the main thing that's holding them back, uh, which is when you build a microwave power plant in SimCity 2000, mm-hmm. it inevitably gets blasted by this thing from, from above where you can see and it sets half your city on fire. That does, uh, yeah, we have to, we have to crack that nut. We have to crack that nut. And once we do, then uh, we're ready to install SimCity, and it will not require an online connection for you to play, even if you're playing a single-player campaign that's rem- just what? connected to your Although computer. Part, part, part of this brings up an important issue, which is the public perception of things like microwaves and laser beams, because when you say words like that to a lot of people, they, they think microwave, they that's think, what I use to boil my back, food. They go back to Tesla's death ray. Uh, yeah, yeah, that kind of thing, which is not how that would work. Yeah, I... Uh... Now, I can't conclusively rule out any risks because I don't really know, but I have not read anything that suggested there would be major risks of death rays from space if we were to use microwave transmission. No. Yeah. I, I, death rays from space would make an awesome album title, though. All right. Well, you know, the important thing I think to remember here is that these these methods are not science fiction. I mean, this is the stuff that is going to make – uh, a lot of the future, specifically stuff like space exploration, really viable, uh, at least in the near term, unless we come up with a way of creating, you know, fusion reactors aboard distant um, spacecraft and space stations. So I'm really excited about it. I think that uh, it's got some interesting applications. I don't think necessarily that we're going to see it replace all the power cables that are here on Earth anytime soon, um, unless someone comes up with a brilliant means of transmitting power safely, that I think that infrastructure is going to stick around for the foreseeable future. I mean, it's kind of so tied into everything we do right now. I oh, can't there, our infrastructure is so ubiquitous. Yeah, that... right. I mean, even now that we can transmit direct current more efficiently than alternating current. Well, our infrastructure is based off alternating current. So while we have the technology to do it, it would mean having to replace a huge amount of stuff that's been established for, you know, decades now. So, uh, so, uh, you know, I don't know that we're going to see a change on our day to day lives in the near future, but it has incredible implications 
for the far future, particularly when we're talking about space, which we like to do on this podcast from time to time. All the time. So, guys, if you have enjoyed this episode, go to fwthinking.com. Do me a solid. Go there. Because we've got blog posts. We've got uh, the podcasts. We've got the videos. We've got a lot of other stuff on that site that's all related to the future. It's related to science and technology. And we want you to be a part of it. Go look at that. And then also join in on the conversation. You can find us on social media platforms like Facebook, Twitter, and Google+. We have the handle FW Thinking. We look forward to hearing from you, and we'll talk to you again really soon. For more on this topic and the future of technology, visit forwardthinking.com. Brought to you by Toyota. Let's go places. Hey, hey, it's Malcolm Gladwell, host of Revisionist History. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Your elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive entirely its own. Brake kits, LED headlights, whatever you need, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Did you catch season three of This is Digital? Season three of This is Digital goes behind the scenes to reveal how digital trends show up in everyday decisions and actions, including digital lessons from the EV revolution and the chief digital officer's role in disruption and culture, featuring guests like Ekta Chopra of Elf Beauty and Tyson Jomini of J.D. Power. Do you have a digital mindset? Find out by checking out the latest and greatest on season three of This is Digital and learn more at westmonroe.com. Tired of restless nights? At Lisa, we know good sleep is essential for mental, physical, and emotional health. From memory foam mattresses to hybrids that keep you cool all night long, Lisa's mattresses offer exceptional comfort and support with free delivery and 100 nights to try out your mattress in the comfort of your home. For a limited time, save up to $700 off select mattresses plus two free pillows. Go to lisa.com slash iHeart for an additional $50 off mattresses and select goods. Exclusions apply. See lisa.com for more details. You know, it can be hard to see the challenges that people we work with every day are going through. Invisible struggles like stress and burnout, caregiving for a loved one, or being misunderstood. But insight, awareness, and empathy will help us better see the issues they're dealing with. And that can make us and our companies healthier, too. I'm Holly Robinson-Pete. Join us on The Visibility Gap, a new podcast presented by Cigna Healthcare. Download it wherever you get your podcasts. You deserve to treat yourself, so turn your tax refund into a U-Fund and give yourself a Straight Talk Wireless Extended Silver Unlimited plan and get a new Samsung Galaxy A14 on them. You can get a great everyday value on wireless with Straight Talk's Unlimited plan starting at $25 a line per month for four lines. You'll save so much, you'll be enjoying that refund all year long. It's the refund that keeps on refunding. Find Straight Talk at straighttalk.com or at your local Walmart store. Taxes and fees not included. Offer valid through 41424 while supplies last. Online only. Must purchase a Straight Talk Extended Silver Unlimited plan to qualify. Limit of five phones per customer. Family plan discount with four lines all on the Silver Unlimited plan. Not combinable with auto pay discount.